Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 944. Uh, by the way, since you are listening to podcasts, I just want to share that Spotify makes it easy for you to stream this podcast and many others like it on your mobile device, desktop app, smart speaker. Just open the app on your mobile device, desktop, wherever, click the browse channel, and then click on the podcast section, and you can stay thoroughly entertained doing whatever it is that you do while you jam these podcasts into your ears. Um, so thank you to Spotify for providing a platform for podcasters and also for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Um, I have some stand-up dates coming up at the beginning of April, I believe, maybe five, six, seven. But that weekend, that first weekend, I feel like I should know these things, Katie. Why do I not know my own fucking dates? But it's the beginning of April. I'll be at the Comedy Works in uh, downtown in Denver. Uh, and then at the end of April, I'll be at Comedy on State in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, so just go to the internet and get tickets for that, for that business. Um, what do you have on the corkboard? Tim Robertson writes, I am an amateur astronomer and have been a member of the organization called the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers for many years. And in an effort to grow our membership and promote the group to a newer community, I've decided to do a podcast called The Observer's Notebook that highlights the activities within the organization. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the moon, sun, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional uh, astronomers. So again, you can find this podcast called The Observer's Notebook on all formats, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc. They have 38 episodes and they add new ones every two weeks. And then City Squatch, uh, who's an artist, writes, I wanted to let everyone know about the fantastic free art community we have in the Atlanta area. We have so many artists that hide small free art pieces around the city and post clues on social media using the hashtag F-A-F-A-T-L, which stands for Free Art Friday Atlanta, but it really isn't limited to only Fridays. They said that Atlanta's community is one of the largest of free art contributors in the country. City Squatch says, I personally make Sasquatch-themed art under the name City Squatch. You can find my art under the name City Squatch on Instagram and other social media. And if you're in the Atlanta area, follow along for your chance to win free Squatches or check me out on the hashtag F-A-F-A-T-L. Excellent. Thank you so much, Katie Levine. Um, this episode is Paul Reiser, who uh, I I wanted to have him on for so long. I mean, I, you know, Paul is a guy who 
was a very successful stand-up in the 80s and also had a film career yep. and then had an incredibly successful television career with two sitcoms. One of which was one of my favorite shows as a kid. You're talking about My Two Dads? No, I'm mad about you. I really? I fucking loved it as a kid, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I know, and my parents were always like, because, you know, it's been a married couple. I'm like, what, what did I know about that? But I just loved it. I, you know, I try child. to talk them into bringing it back, <laughs> like see where they're at now. Yeah. But uh, Paul is actually promoting There's Johnny on Hulu, uh, which is an interesting take on uh, Johnny Carson. Yeah. And then uh, Red Oaks on Amazon and Stranger Things Season 2 on Netflix. He's so he's all, over the, he's all over the internet, the Paul Reiser. A uh, lovely man and uh, came, came to my house where we've been doing a lot of these podcasts lately um, as we're sort of uh, constructing the new podcast studio. Uh, this episode also brought to you by Squarespace. Destiny is calling. It says you need a new <laughs> website. And if that is the case, if you are willing to take the call, then damn it, make it Squarespace. Squarespace uh, will let you showcase your work, turn your idea into a website, blog or publish content, create a whole online identity that is not dependent on social media. You have control of it. <laughs> uh, you're going to get beautiful templates created by world-class designers, e-commerce functionality, customizable settings, uh, everything optimized for mobile right out of the box. You can buy domains, choose from over 200 extensions, and then you're going to have analytics. They're going to help you grow that online presence. Uh, built-in SEO, nothing to patch or upgrade ever, and then 24-7 customer support that has won awards. Make it stand out. Stand out with a beautiful website. Check out squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast number 944 with Paul Reiser. Katie, roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. And this comfy couch you're on belonged to my wife's grandparents. Really? Yeah. This I'm, is like a nice, antique, super is. comfy... In the old days, they apparently, their asses slopes backwards. <laughs> their backs were like this. Yeah. You know why? Because they had to work a lot with their hands, and yeah. they just needed a fucking break. Just to how to get to this country, they had to have a backwards <laughs> tilt. This reminds me of a bit that you used to do. Are we going? We're talking. This is happening. What you was the just, bit? The bit... I think maybe it was at a Just for Laughs or something, but it was all about, uh, it had something to do with like, when you forget stuff, it goes over your head. Oh, and yeah. When you remember stuff, it yes. goes, when you forget when, something. When you forget something, you have to look up. You have to look up. And when you're and, trying to. And when you want to forget about it, you look down. You look like, down. Yeah, yeah, oh, God, I don't know what I, where, what was that guy's name? Yeah. What did I say last night? Look was, up. Oh, yeah, there it is. There was a lot of, there was a, there was that a, was a good bit. Why don't I do it and bring that back? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I threw out a perfectly good bit. You did the you you, you know you might that's what's so fun about stand up is that you you might have done who knows I assume you didn't do that just once but no, I but, did that a bunch but, but there's I, there are probably bits you must have just done one time at a club and someone said oh I love that bit that you did and you're like what I don't once know once in a while talking. once in a while there's something that that now I'm going out again and people will say hey I love that bit and it'll be like wow I haven't thought of that because it was 25 30 years ago and once a guy came up and said I can do it and he came on stage and like that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. when I started back like five years ago, I 
I purposely I, I didn't want to use any old stuff because it had been done, but I just wanted to like start scratch, start from scratch. So now when somebody brings up an old one, I go, you know, maybe I shouldn't be such a prude. That's uh, <laughs> that's a good bit. I mean, that's what's great about having a comedy career that spans a ch- big chunk of time is that you can go back and cherry pick some stuff. Yeah, you I, know, you can. You, you, if, if, my my feeling is. You know, if you modify or you squeeze it into a new bit, then it's. It, I think it's fair game. It's like when people say something that they've said a thousand times, they'll preface it with, you know, I'm fond of saying X, Y, Z. So I go, you know, I used to say, like, oh, and I'm, I'm, I'm already say saying, yeah, yeah, this has been done. I'm going to say it again. Yeah, but I used to. You know, here's something I say all the time. Yeah. Maybe I should just say that. Here's the thing I say all the time. And you're in. And pretend like it's new. Yeah. When did you start? I mean, I, you know, my, I was exactly the right age for that 80s comedy boom. Exactly the right age. So I watched everything. Uh, when did you... The 80s comedy boom, you were a kid or you were I was in a it? kid. Yeah, I was a kid. I, oh. I, was, I was born in 71. So oh, wow. I was like... My my comedy absorption happened with Steve Martin records in the seventies and then prior okay. and then and Carlin and just sort of dovetailed into the eighties for like the nine comedy specials that were on every channel at all right, times. Right, right. So when did you must have started in the mid seventies? Late seventies. I 70s? started. Uh, I started hanging out in the clubs seventy seven. Well, actually, yeah, I mean full time. But when I was in college, which was seventy three to seventy seven, I would. In the summers, I would go and do it maybe once yep. or, the, or twice. So that was when I first dipped my toe in. But at the time, my sort of uh, motivation or, or my uh, inspiration, in a sense, was the guys who had just launched out of those clubs. Got so, it. So you see Jimmy Walker and Freddie yep. Prinze and yep. Gabe Kaplan. And like, oh, so they go to this place called Catch a Rising Star, apparently, and then from that, you get on Carson and you get a big show. Apparently, that's the pamphlet. Oh, that's my the, God. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was kind of the – that was an interesting time because that that happened in the late 70s and the early 80s. And then that started again in the early 90s where they would give a stand-up comic a show when you – you know, right. like it, 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 going into the 90s, then you had you know Seinfeld and Roseanne and, yeah. and Tim Allen and all those kind of started back. But in the, they were doing that in the 70s too because of Welcome Back, Cotter and Good yeah. Times. And, well, you know, I remember – when uh, so when I did Mad About You, it was like yeah, Seinfeld was was only like a year or two ahead, and there was Tim Allen and Roseanne, and then Ray Ray Romano afterwards. And I remember interviews would go, "Why do you think uh, networks go to comedians?" I go, "Well, because they're making comedies, right? <laughs> so who are you going to go to? You're not going to go to firemen, right? If you want to put out a fire, don't call a comedian. But right. if you want a comedy, a comic is. A, and and by the way, it's also uh, historically that's where TV started. You know, it was Milton Berle, and and uh, I mean there were singers too who got their shows. But uh, Bob Hope. I mean, the comics were were the sort of lightning rod for entertainment. Yeah. Well, and also. You know, if a stand-up had a really strong point of view, then you can build a show and a universe around that as right. opposed to just casting an actor into yeah. a, an existing thing and, and seeing it's what a, happens. Right, but they, I think they always put it around their uh, personality. You think of L- Lucy or Danny Thomas, and even in a sense Andy Griffith, who was, uh, I mean, he wasn't quite a comic, but he, yeah, he was. He was a, a storyteller. Andy Griffith used to perform in clubs and and had long, you know, he would spin a long yard. So it wasn't joke, 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 but he right. would, he was a performer. So, you know, Andy Griffith show was basically, they put it around his personality. Oh, wow. That actually, I don't think I knew that. I I'm didn't here, know that piece of I'm comedy history. I'm here to educate Please. and inform. So 77, you're hanging out in the clubs and then... When do you decide to start getting up on stage? 
Oh, when I was hanging out, I was performing. So in college, I, I you know, uh, 73 to 77, I would go once or twice in the summer, but I'd wait online on audition night and, you know, and it got earlier and earlier that they used to give out your number at five o'clock and then it became three o'clock and then one o'clock and then it was like an all day thing. And then you'd, the show, you'd come back at night, the show would start at eight and you'd get on at like 12.30 or 2. Yeah. And you go, okay, this is a 15-hour freaking thing now. For like, what, three minutes? Four yeah, minutes? and so you're camping. <laughs> exactly. And it's not good. But I remember this is a very uh, uh, informative moment in my life. I Between freshman year and sophomore year, I went and I did it one time. I auditioned one time. And I got back to school. Actually, I was on for five minutes. I got back to school and they said, hey, what would you do this summer? And I said, oh, I was a comedian. <laughs> like for five minutes of the whole summer, but it so felt like something I wanted to define me, and like it was the coolest thing I had done. So yeah, so then and then in '77 when I graduated, I started just hang, when I say hanging out, I was you know at the bar, but working and then yeah. hanging out because that was part of performing. Like I would say, I used to think, well, if I'm on at 11:40, why don't I just come in 11:39 and I'll leave afterwards? And people go, all the other comics go, you know, you got to hang out, like. Why? Yeah, and they were kind of right because it you it was a community, and you'd find out about other gigs, and you would, you know, you would just develop friendships, and your people would help would throw suggestions like, hey, yeah. here's a bit you can put with that bit. It's like, oh, and it really was a very and probably I don't know if it still is because I'm not really in that world, but that the club world. But in my day, and it was a very in my day. It was a very uh, strong camaraderie, and it was a, a very supportive. I mean, nobody was really backstabbing because if you were funny, you were going to make it. You didn't. Nobody was going to be in your way. It, there was no finite number of spots out there. Well, that's good because I think you know there's some, and maybe this does exist in some places, but I think there is a. I, I've heard people not in the comedy business think like, "Oh, it must be pretty cutthroat." Like, yeah, not really. No. I mean, you know, there's a lot. Yeah, I think. Uh, you know, Bill Hicks had some sort of a it had an approximation of a quote about the more specific the the something about the you know the the more you you are the stronger your voice is the less competition you have. True. So you don't. Right. It, it's not like it's not like some other comic is going to take a job from you. Right. It's like well that person was right for that job and yeah. you you could be right for yeah. And that's job. a process of finding out and it takes you know at least I think five years to you sort of find your voice. God, at least yeah, yeah maybe ten. Um, yeah, I think. I was doing it, uh, yeah, eight years before I started to zero in and feel a that I had a little bit of skill, but also starting to find what worked for me and what didn't. Like, hey, you know, I was doing stuff about couples and relationships, and like, and that was suddenly scoring so much better. I went, you know, that's what I should write about because that feels natural. And if I'm doing, you know, the difference between L.A. and New York, <laughs> you know what? That, there's 12 guys who will do that better. That ain't me. Well, yeah, but I'm, there's, there, there's, I think, kind of a comedy renaissance going on right now. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that there's just so many, you know, there's so many places to do comedy and so many yeah. platforms. But I'm kind of curious about, at that time in the 80s, so many people were just working on their five to seven minute sets because there's not a lot of like talk show spots anymore. There are not a lot mm. of stand-up comedy shows on anymore. But at that time, you could really do like a great circuit to advertise your comedy. You could do like you know Caroline's Comedy Hour. You know, even at the Improv, you, you really could bop around and do a lot of different stuff. So did you? Did you? Did you focus on your hour? Was your hour like a bunch of five to seven minute chunks, or was uh, was your hour like? That's well, a good. No, I never was. I was never really good. I never really did a lot of spots on the Tonight Show. I did one spot my very first time I, where I did stand up, and I had five, seven minutes maybe, 
that I did, and and I cringe if somebody puts it. You know, it's out there, and and I look like a baby. I mean, I can tell my voice is so high because I was trying to not be nervous, and which only made me sound weird. And I was going so slow because I didn't want to speed up. And um, you know, I don't I don't think I ever been a guy that's can make a dent in five minutes. Like I, I you got to sit back and relax, and you'll you'll have a great time when it's all over. But to squeeze it into five minutes was never my thing. But when I did. Uh, the Tonight Show afterwards, dozens of times, uh, I would do it from the couch. Right. So you still have to work on your material, but it was a much different thing. It was uh, you weren't standing there. I mean, it's such a that's why comedy is such a challenging thing. It's an audacious thing. It's a you know to say I'm going to stand here and I'm going to say things that are funny <laughs> and you'll laugh, and that's the only reason I'm here. I mean, it's a kind of ballsy thing to say when you're doing the material from from the couch. It's conversation. So the skill is then, well, how do I make this look like I'm actually talking? And I didn't didn't write this within an inch of its life yesterday. (laughs) Plus, you were doing it with Johnny, who was, you know, a master at setting you up. And, and, uh, you know, he was really really great at that. And and I I come across old clips. uh, For me, I, I can see, okay, that's where he... He stepped in because he thought I needed a new question or needed a little new boost. Or here's where he laid back because I was on a roll. And, uh, you know, I did the, I did this show, this There's Johnny, which is on Hulu. And, yeah. and uh, it was – the idea for that was let's go backstage and see what it was like to be there because that was the golden age. I mean, to me, 72 to, to, to 80, 79 maybe, was where when Johnny – when the Tonight Show moved to L.A., it was in 72. So to me – as a kid in New York, I'm watching it, and that just looked like the coolest place to be. Stars are dropping by. And, and uh, so anyway, the show is set backstage, and we don't we only and we use the clips. We actually see little snippets of clips, but we don't ever have anybody play Johnny. And one of the reasons was, or the main reason was that you can't uh, everybody knows Johnny so well, or those of us who watched the show back then. And he was so singularly skilled, and everybody now will, would admit. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, and and, and uh, Seth Meyers and Conan certainly will all say, "Yeah, man, we grew up. And we want to. We want. We'll do our thing." But it's all based on the shoulders of that. And when part of the fun of this show of the of the There's Johnny was looking through this catalog. You know, uh, we had the the full library of clips at our at our uh, for our use. And you just watch him. It's like he was just always good, and not and it was a slower pace. Not every show was was so much slower. Yeah, but conversational and not and not. I mean, like now when you do talk shows, it can be like you know you do the pre-interview, and they're like, "Oh, do you want to hit anything?" And what? Let's try to find these beats. And and I feel sometimes like, "Oh, I just this feels forced, or I'm trying to force it." But he was so conversational. But I think that also has to do with the fact that audience attention spans and there were fewer options <laughs> yeah yeah it was all of those things are true there were fewer options and he was sort of the uh the consistent he was the continuum you know he was there and and you go to bed you, it was part of your life part of your day you go to bed you turn on johnny you didn't say oh well, i'll tape it and i'll watch it tomorrow or i'll watch it you know watch it on on the bus it's like no you have to stay up till eleven thirty. so it became part of your life and yeah, for sure, the attention span uh, was greater than back then, and so and then also for many years, his show was ninety minutes, so it was really uh, uh, oh my god, stretched yeah, out. that's crazy. So about I think seventy three or four it was ninety minutes. So I, we would I would watch it, and I said, well, let me you know you put in any name, and it'll come up. Let me see uh, Buddy Hackett. And you put here it is. Here's the forty seven <laughs> times Buddy Hackett was on, and then you pick one, and you'd see he's on 
for three segments. Do a commercial, come back, it's still Buddy Hackett. We'll go away and come back, it's still Buddy Hackett. I'm go- and, and in my head, I'm going, is it a special? Is it a Buddy? <laughs> what, what's going on? It's like, no, there's just no rush. Yeah. And you'd stay there. And you'd, you know, you'd stay there for the next guy. So there would be a little spark maybe of the, the person behind you. You know, the author would be interrupted by Buddy Hackett. It's right. funny. Now, you do your thing, gone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and at that time, too, there were people who were just sort of famous because they were in this ecosystem of doing like Match Game, Hollywood Squares, The Tonight Show. Like, and they didn't really work a lot as actors or as much, but you would, you know, they'd perform in Vegas or they'd do the circuit. And they were famous for being on The Tonight Show. Yeah. And that's something that you don't really have now. I mean, unless you're, you know, if you're. on all the time. If you're Andy Richter or something, you get known, okay, that's the guy from Conan. But, right. but um, yeah, there were certainly celebrities whose careers were enforced and created by being on on Johnny. And for comics, he was really kind of um, adventuresome. I mean, he, he was in some ways very middle of the road. Johnny was so comfortable. That's why he was such a success to, across the board. He wore well, you know, and he was not uh, radical. But... He was the guy who put Steve Martin on. He was the guy who put Albert Brooks on and would fall off his chair laughing at Albert yeah. Brooks. And that stuff was so hip. And it was ironic. And it was he was doing bits about how silly stand-up is or how stupid show business is. And Johnny loved it. So he really fostered so many comics. David Brenner, um, Stephen Wright, you know, he kind of just said, wow, put him on. And he remember he had him on for the first time and then like, a week later, which was unheard of. Oh, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know if I remember that he came on a week later. It was pretty quick. It might have been even days later. He just he clearly loved him and had never seen anything like that. And going back to your point about working on a five-minute thing, one of the dangers of some a lot of the, for some comics back then was you'd work on your five, and then you'd have nothing behind it. <laughs> and so if you do well, they'll go, "Great, come on back tomorrow." Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> or hey, we're gonna book you on the road. Oh, I. Uh... Yeah. So you have to. Yeah, it's always good. Like. Take your time. Take your time, and you'll get on when you're when you're ready. You'll be ready. And the Tonight Show's not going anywhere. But you want to be ready. And I think that was a, sort of a good advice for any profession. Like, just get your skills, get your experience, because the, one of the worst things to do is get an opportunity and then not have the goods to deliver. Like, well, I screwed that up. It's sort of like the difference between being a great passenger and being a great driver. <laughs> like, you 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 really, it's not quite the same thing. And it's impossible to explain to someone, but it really – because you have to build all of the context for the audience. Yes. You're in control of exactly. literally everything. Right. And you don't, you don't sort of get the pass of like, oh, we're just in conversation. Another person's going to contribute. There's going to be a certain energy. Yeah. No one has expectations. And then expectations. You're, just, you're jumping in on their, on their movement. Yeah, you're, ta- you're tagging out, but there's no you – know, but when you stand alone in front yes. of a group of people and right. their arms might be crossed and they're like, okay – well, yeah, and you, you, the word you use is perfect. You have to define the context. It's like, all right, here's what I am. And, and in the first words, you know, people are going <laughs> to already form an opinion. I, you know, this guy is warm and funny or this guy is odd and really funny or this guy seems nervous and whatever it is, it's instant. Yeah. And uh, you, you, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a really high wire act. I was always jealous of the, of the surrealist comics like Emo and Stephen Wright because they had – set this table to where pretty much anything that they said, the audience was already ahead of them a little bit and ready to laugh because they knew like whatever these guys do is going to be weird and surreal. And even if I don't understand every reference, it's hilarious. Right. As opposed to, and I've never really been able to write that way, as opposed to like when you're just yourself and you're just, 
you know, then people might go, oh, okay, I get that one. Nah, I'm, not, I'm not so into that one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, but that's why I said, uh, for me, it's I so enjoy doing a whole, you know, 80, 90 arc. minutes. Yeah, and it's an arc. And over the course of watching any show, you want to have ups and downs. And like, here's a, here's a stretch where it's really packed with laughs. And then where here's a bit where it's a little bit longer story or something. And they're with you. And the context is defined. Like, we're here. You're in your in the theater you came you drove here because you you know you already kind of like me you must have you bought a ticket and you know so right, you don't have to so you don't have to fight uphill um but for those guys i mean like i remember seeing rodney who was a, a, the master i mean that was his stuff was so uh crisp and so tight every word and he would just do joke after joke after joke that were great but it's like having too many perfect uh, chocolates. It's like after about thirty minutes, you go, ah, "I need to, right. I need to change flavors." Um, and so, I, there were much there were guys that you would much rather see do an hour. But the the Tonight Show was the perfect format because he'd come out and do seven minutes of rapid, clearly written stuff. And Johnny was the perfect foil. Johnny loved him, and uh, you know. And then when he was finished, there was no there was no pretense of like Rodney had a personality beyond the joke. <laughs> He would just finish the joke. Goes all right. That's it. Johnny goes. See so you done. That's all I have. Whatever. And also, what a great story for anyone. I was like, he didn't really, he didn't really make it until no, he failed twice. I believe he he was uh, he tried it, and and uh, I, I've never seen any tapes or heard anything of who he was in his first incarnation. He went out under his Jackie Roy, Jackie Roy, and his real name. I think he went out the first time as Jack Cohen, and then Jack Roy, and then yeah, he was in his mid to late forties when he. Took on the Rodney persona, the the name and the suit, and the I, I don't get no respect, and you know suddenly that worked, um, and he was great. I mean, he knew how to just polish a joke, and 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 also the context was clear. It's like I get that this is a comedian, this is almost vaudeville. Like this yeah. is this is a clown, this is a guy, and the I don't get no respect. I get that. All right, I don't I don't care if it's true or not. This is a guy who's up there, and I buy. He's sweating, and he's nervous. Like, okay, he probably doesn't get respect. Yeah, but that sort of caricature, which Steve Martin did too, of like the caricature of a, of a, of a light club act, basically. And it's, it's great because it's sort of freeing to be able to write from the point of view of a character because that, I think, that's all about... You know, when you're, when you're just being yourself on stage, it takes a lot to figure out who am I, what do I like, how yeah. do I convey these ideas... But really, I think the fast track to that is just well. If you can figure out some sort of a caricature, then you sort of know what that dimension, what the dimension and the defining characteristics of that, and then you just write to that. I think can can be a lot. It can be a little bit of a shortcut as opposed to ah, I mean, this is what I think about life and shit, and I hope you think huh. some of these same things. You know, it's like a, th- that that character can yeah. be very yeah. And everybody has a, you know you have a character, or even if it's not a character. There's certain things that would be beyond what you could comfortably say on stage. You know, right. if you're, you know, you don't want to share something that's, you know, the, the 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 you that you present on stage can't include everything, right? So, I mean, in other words, if you're having a really intimate or a fight with your wife, right? Right? It's like, well, you don't want to be that guy on stage. It's like, hey, that that's inappropriate. That's therapy, it's not, yeah. Or or you're, you know, you're crying in a movie. Like, all right, that's you, but don't be crying on stage, right? Um. But it's funny about, you know, the context you're saying when we were looking, picking clips for the There's Johnny streaming now on Hulu. Uh, we So I, I used the guys that I wanted to see. So the first episode picked a George Carlin clip, which was ended up being perfectly 
uh, appropriate because it actually helped tell the story and what he was talking about. And just it, so it was a great piece. But we had Rodney in one, we had Albert Brooks in one, and Steve Martin. And the Steve Martin was from I, th- I think this I think December seventy two. And Johnny introduced him as, here's a very funny, it was his second appearance. And he said, here's a very uh, funny guy. It's his second appearance. Uh, He was here a few weeks ago uh, as a magician, but now he's a comedian. (laughs) And so some of that is a joke. It's like uh, he's trying something else. But I think at that point, Steve, and he had his hair was still black. And Steve Martin, I think his first time came out and he was doing magic stuff. He was doing twists on it. So it was, oh, I remember right? that. Yeah, he was doing like oh the something balloon trick. Yes. Like yeah. So it it certainly was a comic, but he was still it was forming. And then and then it was very shortly thereafter that he just soared and took off. But you can see the bare bones of it even then on his second appearance. And he was he was somebody that was always a thrill to watch and because you could you knew he always had something new and he always worked and wrote very meticulously. If he had a seven minute spot he would put in seven minutes of you know, he wouldn't just sit there he would never be non ironic. He wouldn't say, you know, Johnny, uh you know, if he was doing a bit, he was doing a he was doing it in quotes, right? Like the bit where he says, uh, "You know, I have to go. I'm shooting a movie. I, you know, he can't stay." And then they go, "Oh, he's got to go." And then he walks off and he comes. That back. is one of my favorite yeah. all time Carson because it's so weirdly, yeah. Like it's just fu- it fucks around with the format. Yeah, well, so the format. Much. Yeah, because those uh, those of you who don't remember, like the coolest <laughs> thing you do, you think, "Oh, I gotta go. I'm shooting on yeah, the I Paramount lot." I'm sorry, I gotta go. And so he walks off, and then he just. A minute later, Johnny's on to the next guest, and Steve Martin comes back and goes, I don't have anything to do. <laughs> he keeps out from the crash day. I don't have anywhere to go. I just. And my sense, I'm not sure if Johnny knew that joke was happening because I remember his laugh seemed so genuine. He would seem surprised yes. by it. Yes. So it's possible they yeah, kept all that these from people him. people come out and they say they have places to go. Yeah. I just wanted to seem cool. <laughs> like it was brilliant. Johnny. It was brilliant. Yeah, but that, but having a. Having a place where people could go, where he allowed that to happen, yeah. where he could go, where you could go and experiment, it, it's interesting to me because I haven't heard a lot of stories about like, well, he was really warm, <laughs> like what a great hang after the show. And so, for a guy who I think could be so intimidating, it's interesting that there was that he was not super controlling in that way. No, he was. He was. Uh, it's true. I mean, I, I did the show a lot. And, and uh, twenty, I don't know, twenty five times or something, and, and he was really uh, very gracious and very welcoming. And, he, and there was a period like eighty six to eighty nine or something. I was on a lot. I mean, like like every seven or eight weeks for a while. And I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. And, and whatever, it was working. So he he and I would do this stuff from from the couch. Never hung with him, never saw him a second before the show, <laughs> which is why on there's on our show and there's Johnny. I said he should. I wanted him to be just a presence. You know that was what I felt when I was in the building. If Johnny's going into makeup, everybody clears the halls. Hang on right. a second, nobody go out. It's like the president is moving, right. and so you felt his presence every moment. But you didn't hang with him. I'm sure some people did. I think some people went out to dinner with him, but he in in the context of the show and even during commercials, he would chat with you, and he would, that was part of his. Uh, skill set he was just gracious and he made you feel comfortable and i remember i did a bit i was trying it was sort of a concept bit like it's actually of that school of the steve martin bit of doing uh you know i want to be cool like those guys (laughs) so i came on i was doing some movie and i and you know i was well you do a movie and you show a clip and you want to set this clip up and i i joked my joke was uh you know i don't i we couldn't get the clip but i i have some uh cards here that with pictures and stick figures and i can walk you through it (laughs) and so i had a friend who's an artist and drew 10, you know, big, uh, you know, what are they called? <laughs> Those 
poster boards things, and I would flip it. And the joke was, it wasn't really clear. I think about it now, like the joke was, A, that I don't have a clip and I'm using cards. But on top of that, I was trying to make the story funny. Anyway, so it was about three cards in, it was clear that this is just really dumb. And I remember Johnny looking at me on the air and just going, I think he even said, like, you started it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to finish every yeah. one of these cigars? Yes. But <laughs> it was sort of, sort of like, you know, he used to get his greatest laughs about bombing. You know, a joke would miss. and that sure. would be. So here was, all right, this is not really working well, but he made it fun. And instead of me being embarrassed, it was like, wow, I really felt embraced. Like, yeah, I'm going to treat you like, uh, any, like a peer. Like, go ahead, That's man. That's so funny because those talk show audiences can be so mainstream that I, I think – they're never they're never really prepared for any level of irony. So if you say to them like, "Why well, you know I wasn't able to get a clip," that I think they would think, "Oh, he really wasn't able to get a clip." And and wow, I can't believe he had to show these pic. Like they would think it, they would take it literally. Well, but talk about your context. That was I was trying to do something fun and uh, different, and it didn't quite fit my personality. I didn't know how to I didn't know how to sell it. Where Steve Martin would have sold it better. And but would you have tried tried. something yeah. though. Well, that, that was, was I was proud of that, and I'm I'm pl- proud of it now. That like oh, I tried something to do a little different. <laughs> but you also at, at the same time that you were doing stand up, you're actually doing a lot of big movies, which was not entirely common for like I feel like with the exception of you know Eddie Murphy, a handful of people. Not all stand-ups did a lot of movies in that time. Like there were, you know, people were stand-ups, and then there were there were you know movie people. But you know, Diner, Beverly Hills Cop, Aliens. I mean, these are really big movies. They well, they and they ended up really dovetailing and and making for for me it sort of made it happen. Like I had before eighty two, no, eighty two. Yeah, excuse me. Um, I think I had auditioned to be on the Tonight Show a number of times, and you know, it wasn't ready. And like, we'll we'll call you. You're not ready. And then in 82, Diner came out, April of 82, and I got on. And I got on because I had that sort of wind at my back. It's like, there's a new movie, and there's a funny kid, and he's in this movie, and there's a little buzz about this movie. Here's this kid. So I had that, and it was like, that got me in the door. Without Diner at that moment, I mean, I might have got, I'm sure I would have gotten on uh, just solely on my strength as a comic, ultimately. But this really opened that door. And, uh, you know, and, and Aliens too was certainly uh, uh, was a big, big deal movie that I was able to go on and talk about stuff. It's interesting, you know. <laughs> they I, those things are fun and they're great things to be a part of, but in my head, they sort of uh, help sell other things. Like you know, this year, like I had three things that came out. I, just coincidentally, all within like a few weeks of each other. And I was, uh, Red Oaks came out, uh, the last season of Red Oaks was on Amazon and Stranger, Stranger Things, Things, which was yeah. the big thing on Netflix. And then my, you know, labor of love was this There's Johnny, which was on Hulu. So I knew Stranger Things was, oh, let's come on and talk about Stranger Things. And I would get on the show because of Stranger Things. I go, great, let's talk about There's Johnny <laughs> because I wasn't going to get on with just that. So, you know, that's what they, it's interesting. The, the, sometimes, you get on a show because you want to plug that thing. Yeah. But a lot of times I, I'll get on with one thing because I actually want to talk about something else. Or, you know, in the, in the case of like an Aliens or Beverly Hills Cop, at that time it's like, well, this will be good because not because I need you to see the movie. You're going to go see it anyway. But, oh, you've, that's the guy from that movie. We'll go see him in the right. theater. We'll go see him in the club. Um, so it was used, you know, to help, you know, <laughs> help sell tickets. Beverly Hills Cop was an interesting – I mean, that style of – uh, you know, like big budget action comedy 
you know, that was a really fa- incredible time for. I don't. I don't. I mean, I guess maybe maybe Will Smith is someone who still does the, you know like big budget action comedies. I don't feel like I see a lot of them anymore. But that movie. You know, yeah, but uh, it, was so, it was because of Eddie because Murphy's of Eddie, huge yeah. talent. I, I, I don't know that that genre would have busted open. You know, Martin Lawrence did, and and, uh, and Mark Wahlberg. Some well, some of the comedies are Mark. You know, Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell, and, sure, uh, or um, Melissa McCarthy and the, the you know Spy and those those sort of the new R comedies, which are I mean R rated comedies. But uh, it was a moment. But I think it was totally Eddie just blew that door open because on sheer magnetism and 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 talent and so spinning off of all of that stuff then when did my two dads start that was 80 uh seven eight nine i think and and that was after aliens and uh and i you know i I got this pilot and i was thinking "Ah, i don't know if i want to do this but and I remember thinking, oh, you know, most pilots don't go anyway. <laughs> so I said, oh, I'll do it. I'll get the well, check. Yeah, gonna... whatever. You know, I was wasn't you know in in the money. I go, oh, you know, make a nice little check, and uh, that'll be fine. I did the show it was fine. And I remember like six weeks later getting a call from my manager. Hey, the show got picked up. I said, what what show? <laughs> remember the thing with it? I said, Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Really? That got picked up? Oh my! So suddenly I was on that, and you know, and it was it was a very educational. Experience experience for me because it, it was never a show that i personally it, it didn't reflect my tastes right it wasn't me and it was very hard for me to do my comedy in it and to to feel like myself but uh, two things i learned one is that you don't have to use the product in your own home to enjoy the product <laughs> right right uh, um so the fact that there were lots of people who were enjoying it is a good thing it didn't matter that i didn't particularly or my friends didn't watch it but it also helped me learn how to do the format of what a half hour comedy is what a script looks like what a what a 23 minutes of right show looks like and it also because it wasn't quite to my taste it helped me realize okay the next time i do this if i do this again i really want it to be my taste so when that was off it was like three years or not i don't even know if it was a full three but somewhere by the end of three years it was off and I wasn't really particularly looking to do something. And someone, a studio came to me and they said, you know, would you want to develop something for yourself? And I go, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I want to do half. I said, well, if I did, because I, you know, because I, I, I didn't feel like I, I had loved that experience. I said, if I did, it would really be really small. And it would be like something <laughs> like that. I, instead of people coming over, my two dads was people coming over going, you know, my daughter loves your show. Right, go, right, okay, right. That's, that's sweet. I wanted to show with people my age and going, oh man, that's, yeah, I watched that. My wife, we watched that. We relate to that. So I wanted something that was really um, <laughs> reflecting me, not because what I said was so important, but because like, then I didn't have to work too hard. Well, and, and, right? and, also, and I made it as much like me. So like, yeah, let me just talk like me and write the story like me because then I know it will come from a real place. Yeah. And also, listen, it's great to get a job, but... You know, once you have a job for a couple of years, it's kind, it's kind of nice to, you know, not disclaim your job. Like, oh, I work on this thing. But yeah, you probably, I don't yeah. know, if you, have, you know, like to go, yes. yeah, you know, I make I made this thing and I'm really proud of it. You know, the thing about my two dads is that I, I, I feel like even as a, even as a teenager, I was like, who has a car shaped couch in their living room? Yep. How is that a thing yep. that someone has? A table made out of a bicycle. And I, and I remember you used to say, I used to, and I remember you used to say, because I used to hurt myself. I walk by the table and go, you know, and a pedal just hit me in the crotch. And, and I go, I get it. He's an artist, but can we now get a regular table? Uh, <laughs> just a, 
<laughs> like, never mind the comedy reality. I just keep hurting myself. It just had to, you know. But it's in character. It's in character. You had to do it in character. But my, but mad about you definitely was a was much more of uh, of a you know a grounded, but still kind of you know well, hyper reality. Well, it's hyper in that. Nobody's life is funny 23 minutes in a row right. and then quiet for a week and right. then funny 23 minutes later the following week. So obviously it's created and it's compressed, but we and we always we always uh, strove, strived? What's the past tense of strive? Let's say stroven, just we to throw off the grammar people. We we uh endeavored to I make think it's it endeavoring endeavor <laughs> to to make, to keep it real, and we used to say, "Oh, it's about the little things." And in a sense, I mean, in a very true sense, it was about the little things. It's the moments. It's the it's the look between a, a husband and a wife. It's the the little space that you know that between two people who are not communicating that can grow into something. It was all these little subtle nuances, and then we would periodically have a show that was just so over the top, you know, virtual reality where Christy Brinkley is giving right. me a massage, and we would go, "Yeah, it's the little things like that," <laughs> but. But I, you know, that was I think uh, that was our first season, and that was a very uh, 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 um, pivotal kind of show that episode because we took a really high concept virtual reality and that uh, right, so it was very over the top. It wasn't real, but what was real was the story was that I made an investment without checking with my wife, and so the best, even though we had this crazy thing with virtual reality, here's Christy Brinkley in, in the negligee. The heart of the show was the subsequent scene mm-hmm. where we're getting ready for bed and husband and wife and Helen Hunt and I sit there and, and I try and explain to her, uh, well, yeah, you know, it's really, it's not a waste of money. You're going to see because you can do anything. And she starts to warm to the idea. I said, you can go skiing. You can, you know, you could do all these wonderful things. She says, I guess. What what did you do? I go, me, I got a massage from Tristy Brinkley. So, so and it became the 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 fight and the tension between the wife and the husband was the story and the other stuff is just catalyst so anyway so that i always use that as an example of it was always we always came back to keeping it real and that was something that had i not had the experience of the first show i might not have been so allergic to non non real stuff when was that 93 90 when was that about you yeah. was 92 september 92 and and doing a virtual reality episode very forward thinking right i got to say very forward wish i had actually invested <laughs> all that time ago yeah cuz i i worked on a i i was doing a sitcom at Culver Studios in like 98 and i think we were in the stage next to you oh really yeah what was the show it was a show called Guys Like Us. We were on for a season. I remember that on you uh, on UPN, which is not a network anymore. There so it was, uh, and that was one of those like, oh my god, I'm on a sitcom. I bought a fancy car. Yeah, and then we didn't get picked up for the back nine. <laughs> and that was pretty much. That. I, when I moved to California, I got uh, in '83, and pretty soon thereafter, I got. I think I got a pilot, and and I got a part in a movie. It was a lead in a movie. I said, well, I'm going out and buying a car. And about two days into the shooting, uh, the producer and the director come to my house and go, listen, we, um, the studio's not happy. And, uh, <laughs> oh, no. You're out. And I go, and I remember thinking, oh, no, 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 no. I just bought a car. And I go, oh, no, you'll get paid. I go, all right, and that's fine. All right, fine. Yeah, yeah I don't fine. give a shit. Well, you know, it can really fuck with your head because especially if you're young and all of a sudden you get, it's like you're not used to see. you don't really know how the finances of the entertainment business right. work. So you hear this number, which is a which is a gross number. Yes. Like, oh, my God, you're going to make, yeah. you know, know $25,000 a week. Oh, my God, that's crazy that anyone get paid that much. And you still end up with a decent amount of money, but it's like, 
oh, okay, well, there's like 25% goes to agent manager lawyer. Then yes. another 50% goes to taxes. And then you well, can't work on anything else. And it's only for a short period of time. And right. then you realize. And there's that. another factor that uh, I think is, is prevalent among actors. Every job that you get, you spend the money three times. The minute you, you land the job, you go, woohoo, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy some crazy shit. <laughs> the minute you haven't gotten, then you do the job and you say, well, I'll celebrate. And you go buy some more crazy shit. And then later the check comes and you actually go out and buy some. So you've spent that money three times now. Four if you get a syndication check. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like, oh, I get some reruns. And when it's all done, you go, I know I have a car and a nice stereo and $7. What, what happened? What happened? <laughs> what did I do wrong here? Well, that's, I mean, you know, the money part of it's kind of a mind fuck too, I would imagine, especially. I mean, were you ever when you were you were you comfortable as a performer when like when fees and finances start becoming news stories? You're like, oh, this person's getting this much, and now this actor's getting this much. Are you like, hey, do we need? Do, is it okay if we don't talk about that stuff? Yeah, I always found that kind of grotesque, uh, and I never wanted to know anybody. I remember growing up; it was sort of for good or for bad. It was sort of a a nebulous secret. I just never had any idea what my dad made. Right, and like you know, it was his. I don't know that it was so healthy, cause, but I kind of do that with my kids. Like, they would go, well, well, Dad, what does is, what is a house like this cost? I go, well, don't worry about it. <laughs> and when my, when my, my, my younger son, when he was uh, like five or six or something, or came, seven, he came home from school, and he said, Dad, what do you, what do, you do? Because <laughs> this was after that. I just I was home, and I was so happy to be home, and I was so – I loved just being in the house. And I was writing, but I was like, oh, this is wonderful for them. I'm, I'm here when he comes home from school. And then he's going, you're here a lot, Dad. You seem to be – and then, I remember one time he said, but how, do, how can we afford this? And I go, well, okay. I mean, you know, I, I had a nice run, and uh, it was a very big success, and we were very lucky, and Mom works hard, and Mom's making good – but uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the numbers. And now I know he's going to – I'm sort of launching him into the world with, you know, this Beverly Hills show business uh, distortion. <laughs> he's go, so a uh, shirt is $1,100? Is that, is that normal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially in this town. Well, he's actually, especially... And he's actually cool because he's actually so much more fiscally responsible. And he's somehow – and it's not from me but or, or even his mom. I think he's just sort of on his own decided, well, I don't want to buy it. That's too expensive. I'm not going to spend that. It's like, oh, good for you, man. How would you figure that out? And he did. And, you know, I think – you, you get stuff from your parents, but you also figure out what you need to. Well, what's a good bit of it? You know, because I think you know, I feel like people spend so much time talking about like how to make it, how to make it, how to make it. But I feel like not enough people talk about how to be successful, how to succeed, because it really can screw with your head if you're not used to it. It can be very self-destructive. And so, you know, that last season of Man About You where everyone's making shit tons of money, obviously you had done well up to that point, but that was insane. And so are you... Not thinking about it or planning or, or, or just trying to not get in your head about it or do, are you able to separate it? No, I mean, it's, you know, you know, sort of, it's sort of, it's embarrassing, you know, to be to talk about because it's an obscene, you know, when a show does well, you get stupid amounts of money. It's what you hope. I mean, right? You want to do well. And it's not because they're giving it out. They're giving it out because it has value. Your ta- your skills and your what you've created is bringing in dollars. People are coming to see it, so therefore it's worth it. They're not, you know, not doing it as a charity case. Yeah, so that, it, it always... by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to stick on that point just because it's the only time, like when, when actor salaries get into the news and people go, man, I can't believe they're paying the fucking guy. What a b-. It's like, it's the only time where people side with corporations, I think, right. when, without realizing as you go, yeah, the studio's not going to give that money to an orphanage. Like, it's just a profit share of yeah. the show that they are making. We're going to give him 20 million. A hundred times that. Yes, because we'll make a hundred times that. So yeah. It's worth it, but um, 
No, but I mean, we were always aware that, wow, we're in a really kind of golden moment and this is great and it ain't always going to be like this. I mean, we're very aware of that in, in, all, in all corners in, in, in that we're not going to always be this busy. We're not going to always have a show that's going to be, you know, top rated. We're not going to, you know, most likely not be making this kind of dough. So, I mean, we were all pretty responsible and uh, didn't get crazy. But, I mean, the interesting thing about, you say, nobody knows how to prepare for success it's a different world even now because there's so much, you know, the internet and speed and everything is everything is everything. So you say anything and it's around the world in a second. That didn't even 25 years ago when I was on TV, it didn't. You could do an interview and it would if you said something stupid, it would come back to haunt you. But it wasn't every day or right. every misfire, or everything. So it was easier to have a bit of of restraint and privacy but i think it's also everybody's different you know i know people who are don't have money and are really messed up and i know guys you know people who make a lot of money and they're really grounded and it's like yeah because they're i love when people say you know you're married 30 years that's so amazing for a show business i went it's not show business it's like you know there are people get divorced who are plumbers and teachers and right and, right so it's it has nothing to do with that but it's just sort of the the outside projection of what people think show business might be. Yeah, but but I do think that unlike most businesses, though, show business puts people in situations. There are situational. It's like you know, a plumber doesn't have to go to work, and uh, part of their job is uh, making out with someone. You know, whereas <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, to clean out those pipes. You know, like it's not that. I mean, I feel like this business in particular. <laughs> People are gone for long periods of time, yeah. and they. So I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of rocky road that I think people have to extra put extra time in their relationship to make sure that they don't drift away from each other. Because I feel like, you know, it, this business does foster a certain bit of narcissism to make it function. You know, you have to spend a lot of time with yourself thinking about yourself your career i think to move it forward especially if you're a comic or you're you know you're an actor and so i think that can sort of create the walls if you're not paying attention like oh yeah, sometimes yeah. it's about other people too yeah. and and in my case it was uh, almost a double-edged sword because i was mining my marriage and my relationship for material right right we, unabashedly and but as was as were all the other writers and we'd all come in with stuff and and so you'd get uh applauded and rewarded for oh what a real wow what a caring husband look how paul and jamie i go yeah but to get that moment i had to stay late at work four days in a row and right. i didn't get to talk to my wife you're so, seeing all the cracks yeah, you're seeing yeah you're seeing <laughs> the 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 false reproduction but like then you come home and go and I'd say something, and my wife would be upset. And I go, you know, I don't think that's what the wife says here. The wife says, I, we, we wrote it totally different. <laughs> or she's like, don't you dare write that down. Yeah, you know, I would always, yeah. Well, but we, I was, I was much more uh, at a quicker filter than even she did. I wouldn't ever want to put anything that was too real, or that would clearly look like it was me and her. Uh, but I still do that, even like I do stuff about you know us, and I go, can I share that? She goes, go ahead. But there's a bit that I do that was a, uh, an argument that we had that was so funny to me. It was in a car, and the, my son was in the back, and we were. It was just a silly thing that snowballed into a big, and it was just like, oh my god! Even while it was happening, I'm going, "This is great! This is unbelievable!" <laughs> do you, I mean, and that was sort of my. That's what I part of what I loved about being mad about you is that when you have those marriage moments, they're leavened and enlightened by going, "Oh, this is going to be a great scene," and like, and and, and it gives you, it gives you. Um, an, a, 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 
what's the word, a little bit of a distance to remove that you can see like, oh yeah, this is all fun. Not that I shouldn't take it seriously. And I don't want, you know, it's not funny that you're upset or that I'm upset, but right, just stand back and it's all, it's all silliness. Yeah. It also, it makes you t- not take that stuff as seriously. Right. right. And, as opposed and, to, oh, this means everything. Like, oh, this is actually really good. Right. But it was always a little harsh, you know, <laughs> awakening to have this <laughs> set where, oh, you know, and Paul says this and Jamie says that. And, well, what a terrific couple. And come home and go, okay, she's not on script at all. My wife is really uh, cutting into me here. And, and, and you also got to be careful because, you know, because it's something that might be super funny between the two of you because you have sort of an inside thing with each other. And an audience is like, oh my God, what? Well, but that's, you know, that's part of the filter that you get as a stand up. I remember so many guys, you know, try something. You, something happens to you or, or, or comes to you in your mind and you try it out that night. And for a big swatch of us who were uh, uh, observation comics, you go, hey, you ever noticed? Blah, blah, blah. And the good bits, people will laugh because, yeah, man, I did notice that. Right. That's so true. Once in a while, you come up with something, you go, you ever noticed this? And everyone looks at you like, no, man, that's just you. That's just you. <laughs> I, I remember somebody, somebody, did, it was a really grotesque bit about something, about taking a dump and just looking at it and the structure, it, it, he saw an image. I went, yeah, you know what? Uh, don't know. Don't do that. No, nope, nobody, nope, Nobody's going to, even if they, everybody had that experience, they're not going to laugh because they don't want to be that person. <laughs> so you're going to hang right up there. Uh, that's just you. Well, that's a tough one. Those are tough bits to sell in like five and ten minute sets. Yes. You can sandwich that in if, you, if, if people, if, you know, as long as, you know, again. I wish you didn't use the word sandwich there, but... Uh, <laughs> Yes. You can sandwich the shit bit. Yes, you can get you can you can get away with things again because when the context is, oh, I get it, and he's here's the parameters, and he's not going to be mean, he's not going to be racist or or right. misogynistic. Okay, so now we know that. So if something pushes the edge a little bit, I feel okay. Whereas if you just came out and you said, let me tell you something about broads, I go check please. Come on, we're out. Yeah, well, it can really be. You know, the audience as a whole is sort of like a big horse, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they have to trust... You lead like, them to the comedy water? Kind of, yeah. Like, if it, you know, I think people come to a comedy show wanting and expecting to be led, and if they don't feel like the person on stage can lead them either because they don't identify with them or because that person doesn't have the skill set to do it, yes. then they won't follow, right. you know? they. I think they want to be led. That's why they come, right. they come in for the and ride. And they want to relax and know that you're in charge. Yeah. But I, I remember uh, reading something, Billy Connolly was talking, or maybe it was in a documentary, one of the comedy documentaries I saw recently, and Billy Connolly was talking about he goes, you're, you're wrang- it's like you're a shepherd or a, or a cat, wrangling cats, right? And, you, and you're, you're just roping, you're getting them all together. And then if somebody interrupts and somebody heckles or distracts or something, then they scatter and you got to go fucking wrangle everybody back. <laughs> and then only when they're together can you lead them where you want to go. But you, first you got to get them together. Yes. Right? And, and part of that is literally, like I'm just talking about horse being drawn to water, the audience has to be defined as an audience. They come in and they're a thousand different people, whatever, 2,000 different people. And they don't know how to be an audience. They don't know each other. And that's why I love to have an opening act, somebody go out there and just let them practice 
paying attention. Let them practice. Okay, let me get into my seat. Let me forget about the phone call I have to make. All right, now I know how to be an audience. We're an audience. But it doesn't happen right away. Right. And if you come out, if you're the first guy, you go, ooh, they're still settling in. Come out cold. They're just putting their purses yeah. down. They need to be, they need to do, go through their own process and let, let somebody has to help them become an audience. Yeah, and, then, and, it's, and it's, it's figuring out how to shorten that time between the time you walk on yeah. stage yeah. to getting them to be, to be that audience. But, you know, obviously, you're like you said, it's helpful when people come to see you on purpose. Yes. Then it's not like they just wandered in off the street. Like, you better be funny. And then that, I mean, that's a, yeah. that could be a whole different we used to uh, talk skill about, set. We, in the very beginning, we used to have, um, what were they call these shows that were called Nooners in the afternoon. And some, you know, uh, entrepreneurial comic would say, you know, I, I, I got a, a show. We're going to do it at uh, City College at one o'clock. And you go, really? You go, oh, it's in the cafeteria in London. You go, oh. okay. And here's, everybody's going to get $20. All right. And you'd go. And not only didn't they come to see a show, did they not come to see a show? They're eating. They, they have something they want to do. So now you're interrupting them. Mm-hmm. So you got to go. Put down your sandwich, and here's some <laughs> shit that I thought of that maybe will make you laugh. And they're looking at you like, what "The hell, man! We're we're trying to talk." That's more interference. Yeah, but if you can thrive in that environment, yeah, if you do well, God you, bless you're you. You're bulletproof. If you can if you can turn them around. If you yeah, if you can get them to turn around from their lunch trays. Well, I think most people don't really understand how that comedy needs a little bit of like setup. They're like, oh, just, let's put the comic over here. It, whatever, it's it's comedy. Like, yeah, but yeah, you know, people kind of need to be at least facing the right way, yeah, and yeah, not yeah. looking down at their food trays. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of subtle little things. So, uh, mad about you is coming back? Yes, no, I uh, maybe it was. Uh, no, there was a, there, it was a very premature rumor that, uh, all, but it said we were talking about it, which we are. We were talking about it, and for years we had always, said, and I, I was really clear that I didn't ever want to come back because we did it seven years and we ended it really well and we did everything we wanted to do and it's like sailed off into the sunset perfectly and so I didn't ever want to come back and ruin the moment <laughs> um, and then it was you know uh, I'm never the first guy in a pool <laughs> like somebody has to jump so when I saw oh, a couple of people are doing it and I was having lunch with Helen Hunt I said well what do you think? Should we, would you ever want to? She goes well, I don't know it could be fun and so then we just really were just talking about it like is there something we could do? Is there a way to make it worthwhile that uh, you certainly can't come back and be that same people, right? Because especially our show, which is about reality. So they're not newlyweds. And so their life has to be different. 25 years later, our little baby would have been out of the house already. So it's a different point in our life. So if we can come back and write a story about the same people now in their 50s and 60s with the same precision and same sort of warm insight and sort of courageous little uh, uh, excavations of, of, of craziness, then it'll be great. Um, but you know, the, you certainly don't want to go back and go, no, we're newlyweds. And I just, I just look a little heavier. Can I just pitch to you why I think it would work? Go ahead. Because, because it was so based in their relationship. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to see where they ended up yeah. all, all these years later, because obviously circumstances are going to change. Their environment's going to change. They're going to have matured as people. But at the core, they're still the same people. So seeing like yes. seeing the next chapter in their lives right. and being able – it's just sort of like checking in on friends you haven't seen for a long time. Because yes. of the nature of the type of show it was, yeah. you, you, it, it, you, you don't have to try to go back to what you, right. what you guys were before. You can just take the honest bits from the relationship yeah, now. I think, and I think it would really work. I think it, I think it could. As I said, we might do it. We're just you – know, we're kicking it around and – so somebody went to press a little too early and said, uh, oh, it's, they're talking about coming back. And it's been really actually very uh, flattering how many people 
stop me on the street and go, oh, I heard you coming back. That's great. It's like, okay, we're not sure we are. Um, but, you know, one of the things, you know, it was always an investigation of a relationship. And one of the things, the sort of existential questions of a relationship is like, why are we in this, right? So in the beginning, you're you're drawn to each other chemically, sexually, magnetically, and then you get to know each other and and it builds and you grows and you have kids and... And when the kids are grown, and then you're landing in a different place. And we actually, in the finale of Mad About You, at, and at the end of our seventh year, we did a little thing where we jumped into the future. We showed a little bit five years ahead, 20 years ahead. So we saw, and in fact, they broke up, they came back together. And, and so that's why I always thought, we, we don't, there's no need to come back. But one of the things that would be interesting if we did do it is to say, well, our absent our youth and absent raising a child let's say we have a couple of 20, 30 years later left in us. Yeah. Uh, does it, is it important that we spend it together or we gave it a great shot? It was good. Uh, why don't you go free and I'll go free. It's like, you know, what, what is it that will keep you together? And, you know, at 60, it's very different than at 25. Your, your needs are different. Your life is different. Um, so in a way it could be interesting because it's sort of new in the same way that marriage was new to them at 20, at, 25 years ago, in this moment in life. And I'm, I'm sort of going through it, which gives me a little bit of um, understanding of what the show could be, because my youngest son is about to go off to college, and I'm dreading it. Uh, I mean, I love, I love, I think I'll have a great time, and I love to travel with my wife and all that, but it's like, so that whole chunk of raising kids, having a baby, and now it's over. That's it. And here we are. Oh, my God. Remember the old people? With them. <laughs> with them. Wow. I don't know, man. I, I think there's something really interesting in there because I think... You write it. I think, okay. <laughs> I think I think what could be new about it is the idea that, you know, maybe the show picks up where they've just kind of rediscovered each other. They had been broken up for a while. And so the newness factor is them coming back together yeah, and, re- and sort of reuniting and sort of saying like, okay, we were together when we were young. It didn't work out after a while. We kind of went off. We were with other people. We had other adventures. And then when we got older, we our priorities shifted and we kind of discovered like, actually, we do kind of like each other, but how do we, how do we like, you know, because... How do you get your way back? How, how do you get your way back? You know, oh, so many of these things seem familiar. Oh, now you've changed. But just kind of watching them navigate, especially because you get really rigid when you're, when you start to get yes. older, you get set in your ways. And so I just think there's a lot of authentic yeah. comedy to be had there. It could, it's, it's funny. One of the things... And just toying with discussing it, and Helen and I were talking that one of the uh, one of the things that makes her such a great actress is she's just she's really real, and she she never just stands there and does a line. She's she's always moving. Like we used to joke in the first season, we never saw her face because she was just <laughs> blurring, moving, cleaning, getting. And one of the things, certainly in the beginning of our show, was that momentum. It's like we just we just got to get out the door. Can we please get out the door? And that's when life happens. Like, oh, I can't. Believe we just close the window. We leave it alone. We'll get it later. Wait, how do we? You forgot your phone. Oh my god. So there's this momentum, right? That that was part of the show and the DNA. Well, at sixty, I don't think we're going to have that same speed. <laughs> so, like, well, if we did a show, what? How slowly would they be getting out of the house? And now, when you forget your phone, it's like, oh, I forgot I even have a phone. It's not that you misplaced it. Do I have a phone? <laughs> you know, you're forgetting bigger things. I mean, I really, I really do think, especially for for people who watched the show then, 
I I I I vote for and okay. you know I'm not I'm not someone that thinks that everything needs to be revisited or yeah. rebooted or whatever but I really do think because of the nature of yeah. what the show was that it was just sort of a you know a very kind of honest authentic portrayal a portrayal of a relationship you have new relationship stories to tell and these characters definitely could have rediscovered each other all these years later right, and you talk me into it I, I'm go- okay. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Right. That's what I'm here to do. Yeah. Listen, yeah. if you're ever on the fence about it, just shoot me no, a text. And go, no, no. What do you, you think? You make go, it, do it, Paul. You, do it. You make a good point, and it could absolutely be fun. And and uh, if we do, and I hope there's enough people who, uh, you know, who who show up and want to watch it. I think there are. It, that's you know one of the things that was uh, a nice little bonus for me when I started going out and doing stand up again a few years back. I hadn't I hadn't done it for 20 years. So all the mad about you years, I never went out. And so now when I go out, A, the people coming to the show, people, uh, but afterwards I'll do a little meet and greet and people invariably have a story about an episode that was important to them or a joke that, you know, our wife and I still make that joke that you did in episode, blah, you know, 27. And, or, you know, we got married to the theme song for your show or like, oh, and like, I was like, oh, I never really got this feedback back then. The, this direct face to face of people going, that show really uh, was important to yeah. to us, not as in the social commentary, but just like we cared for that show, we related, and it helped us. And it's like wow, I never uh, really processed that or, or heard it. So that's been a nice thing of for me for getting out of the house. Why did you not do stand up during that show? Because I would think that'd be a prime. Well, believe me, was, was all I your kick myself now. Just going into the make, the making of the show, well, and you just didn't feel I, like I you was, had any extra. You know, I I, I didn't want to do at the time. I didn't want to just do my old act as it was. And I, and I, I felt sort of consumed by the show. I mean, like for, you know, you're making it like Ju- August to March, you're mm-hmm. making the show and then you take a little breath in April and then May you start writing next so year. So you just so don't feel like going out on the road I did, and I did, slogging it out. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't have, I wanted to, yeah, I, did, I didn't have the energy or the focus. And some guys did. Uh, you know, I think Ray went out and Jerry went out and I never felt like I could. So, <laughs> but I kick myself because now when I was ready, I go, yeah, so where were those uh, billion dollar a night gigs? Oh, no, Paul. Oh, those are gone. Oh, yeah. You need to be on television for those. Why didn't you tell me that? I you know would've... what, though? But those those money gigs are corporate gigs and you don't want to do those. The, the, those. Those can be rough. They the can corporate, be rough. The corporate gigs can be really rough. There's, yeah, even if they're good, there's something not good about them. Well, because you're talking about, you know, a corporate, a comedy club, everyone is coming to a they, location yes. that's not their home turf. When you get a community of people together that all work in the same office together, you're coming into their house. They have, they are and they being, didn't come to see you. They are being <laughs> well. They by force they came to see you because there was probably mandated right. by their boss. And now they have to fucking pay attention to some lunatic on stage talking about something or other. That's why the checks have to be big. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you can you take the big check and wipe the yeah, sweat you off know, your forehead. Yeah, with to it. go through that, there has to be some reward. So if it's going to be not rewarding and not fun, yeah. and it's going to be work, then the check has to be big. That's the sliding Whereas scale. on the other hand, you know, like when I go to, to work in, on some material, and I'll go down to the Comedy and Magic Club here. And I remember when I started showing up, and like younger comics going, "Wow, what what are you doing here? Like nothing. You have a special? No. <laughs> You're going out. <laughs> I to, like comedy. I'm just doing it. And I remember when my son, who I, he at the time, this is like five six years ago, he'd never seen me go out of the house at night. Like where are you going? I'm going to do a show. 
are they paying you? I went, no. He goes, why would you do it? And I went, because I'm getting something. I, I need the stage time. I need, it, you know, I'm ha- I need it. I need that. And so they're giving me the opportunity. Whereas the other end of the spectrum is, yeah, I don't need to talk to a thousand uh, accountants in a room. Right. So the check has to be has to make to be me fly to Detroit. Yeah. yeah, to just to take the edge off what yes. the experience was. Yeah. What, so what's the slew of everything that you want to promote? So right, let's so just get everything is, out. Let's get everything out here. All right. So here is the uh, the main thing is is this. Uh, there's Johnny. There's Johnny, which, on Hulu. which is on Hulu. See, it, it was originally on CISO, which has since folded. Not a thing anymore. Right. So we were the first show to ever cancel the network. We actually <laughs> they made them collapse the tent, and so we were an orphan, and then we were sort of adopted by Hulu. And uh, we're sort of in this nebulous thing. We're not quite a Hulu original, and we're not quite, uh, you know, we bought 30 Rock. This is new, but it's ours. But but so, uh, you know, I don't know that they necessarily want to go make a second season. So I'm telling everybody, go watch. I'm really, really proud of the show, and, and it was such... There's such great actors on the show. Jane Levy and Ian Nelson. And Tony Danza plays mm-hmm. Freddie de Cordova. And it came out really, really great. So uh, I do want everybody to see it just because I'm proud of it. I'm not in it. Um... But I created it with my buddy David Simon, and um, and who knows if enough people chime in and write it, Hula may go. All right, well, now we see that everybody likes it because I would love to go make some more, and uh, that's it. Then I have a couple of a couple. Of, that's the only thing to promote, and then I got a, a, a couple of pilots that I've written that I'm also not in, but I'm hoping to get work on those this year. And uh, stand updates. Yeah, I'm going to Cleveland March 24th, I think. I'll be at the Hard Rock Casino. When does this, this will be airing in an hour? It's going up, Katie, yeah. Right now. Whenever they're listening, it's right now. It aired a week ago. All right, but uh, that's in March. That's where I know. And uh, yeah, I keep meaning to like really go out and do like a month of gigs. And I always go, yeah, just do two and I'll come home. Well, yeah, but that's a great thing though, is you could do like, you know, even if you do two weekends a month, Yes, that's, you, that's kind of my that's you, kind of my. Goal. You can go every other weekend, and yes. then it doesn't feel like oh, I'm on the road. You know, you no, it doesn't feel do like it. exactly. And, and you're just doing one nighters too. You're not doing like right. So yeah, I just this past weekend I did two shows in two towns in Colorado, and it's so funny. I've 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 uh, learned that the further you go, the happier they are to see you. <laughs> so I was in this little town, a, a ski town, way up in the mountains. This beautiful little town of uh, Silverthorne, and everyone's going. Why are you here? How did you pick us? <laughs> Why I went, us? I said because it's it's one flight away. Yep. And you had a theater, and you had people who bought tickets. I'll show up. And you came in, and and they were great. And so uh, yeah, to me it's really fun, and uh, and it's the more you do it. I mean, I know when I do two, three shows in a row, then you get to explore and you get to really polish it, and then you take a week or two off, and it, it falls back. It's, yep. So you have to keep it sharp. So I I really do want to someday just clear the calendar and say let's do five shows a week for two or three months which i haven't ever done and uh, i think that would be really uh fun and rewarding for you the american people (laughs) (laughs) you should i've been doing clubs because i'm trying to get a new hour together and it's it's time consuming but it's great because you just do like five shows in a couple days and then you just you know you just you get but did you start with with zero you start with scratch from scratch well my when was my special aired? Two years ago, almost two years ago. And then, yeah, I started, I had just had to start over. And I, I started going out with a little bit of material and a lot of crowd work. And then just, slow, <laughs> just slowly over time. I, I always have that in my mind. It's like, okay, when I start literally clean, which I guess I did six, five or six years ago when I started going back, I didn't do anything old. But now it's like, okay, I have two hours, whatever, of material. I'd like to put it aside and just start a new hour. But I never can really do it because 
when you go up, you want to just at least do one or two At bits. The theater, you know. it's hard because that's that's so presentational. You can do it in a club because you you're in the yes. crowd. You can fuck around a lot, but in a theater, people expect to see yeah a very but presentational it's, it's, show. But it's it's literally like, literally like collecting like uh, little beads, and then you got to put the beads all together. Okay, now it's a big full thing. Um, but that's that's the fun of it. I mean, this weekend, you know, I had one bit that was sort of new, and I was working on it, and and. Uh, it made me so happy. And it was sort of the same feeling I remember when I was 18 and went on stage for the first time. I was like, oh, that joke worked. I can't wait to go back tomorrow. Oh, if I just trim that and move that there, that's going to be perfect. And of course, you never get it perfect, which is why we keep doing it. I'll tell you what. Here, so here, here's, here's my pitch to you. Go ahead. All right. So Mad About You comes back. You take it to Netflix, and then you package it with a Paul Reiser stand-up special. Now you're thinking, Chris. I like and, you're thinking. Uh, and then it all sort of drops around the same time. The special drops now drops a couple months leading up to Mad About You, so people get that Paul Reiser flavor back in their minds, yeah. and then you fucking drop Mad About You a couple ah, months later. I like how you're thinking. Done. Done. I don't know how you... Not my manager. How's... <laughs> <laughs> That would that would be cool. Yeah, actually, it would be interesting to, to go to a Netflix. And one of the thoughts is if we put it on streaming, it changes no commercials, right? So yep. it, it changes the structure. Yep. And the content changes, so you can actually say cocksucker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which we were not allowed to for so many years. No, it turns out you can't. You still can't say that on network no, television. We, we said we, we'll trade seven hells for one asshole. Can we yep. just say asshole once? And they were no. like, no. Sometimes no. that's the only word that'll work. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you can swear, and then, um, uh, and then I'll, I'll, you can really up the sexual content. Uh, yeah, but we're on older. Netflix well. <laughs> <laughs> we might have, that ship might have sailed. <laughs> Um, yeah, you can, right. Well, I'm just glad that you came on and that I, I mean, you know, I've been watching you for years and, uh, you know, and you are, an, you always seem like such a nice guy and you are a genuinely nice guy you and that makes me, me very happy know, and I love to hear what well, a comedy fan nice. you are. Thank you. Yeah. Listen, you know, those of us who do it, uh, it's not cause we have a choice. Right. <laughs> it's so funny. My son, my son was with me when I bumped into a comedian friend and afterwards he said, I never see you get animated like that with anybody else. I go, yeah, comics like talking to other comics. They just, there's a certain, and you can identify, you can spot, when you meet people, you can go, oh, they're, they're a comedy person. You can kind of tell. Everyone's got a little extra, and they activate each other, you yes. know, like comics uh, activate each other. Right. Well, I thank you for having me on. This Thanks, is Paul Reiser. It's good to see you. By the way, there's no cameras at all. I don't know if I don't know mm-hmm. if that's holding you back. Do you, do you notice that people don't see anything? <laughs> no, they're not. They're seeing with their ears. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're seeing with their I just, ears. I just was afraid if you were hoping that this was going to be seen. Well, there's all hidden cameras okay. everywhere. So right. uh, you know, we're we're live streaming 24 seven. Ugh, God, we're here from your home. Do people know that we're in your home? <laughs> we're in my house right now. Yeah, because we were we used to do these. I did the show for Comedy Central, and we used to record there because I was working there all the time. And then that show ended, and I've just we've just been doing them at my house, which is wonderfully convenient for me. I hope it wasn't too inconvenient no, it, for you. No, it was, it was fine. But I'm looking all over the fireplace there. You have some uh, antique uh, some guns. antique guns. Yeah, there's a blunderbuss up there. There's a big long rifle. Some small hand. I mean, operative? These are all, they could, no, 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 no. These are no. If a burglar from the 1700s came in, yes. you could take him down with that. Then I would take him down, and he would because he was a burglar from the 1700s. He would know to be polite to wait so I could pack the gunpowder in the end yeah, yeah. and then put the little ball in. Hang on. I shall hang give on, you buddy. your load times. Uh, but these are, uh, yeah, they're all, these are all like 19th century antique guns. Every, my wife and I both always wanted to live in a museum. So our house very much sort of Adam's Family style. It like is. It's very cool. Everything is antique and sort of museum-esque. Someday you should invite all of your listeners here because it's a very interesting looking home. 
That's not a bad idea. One day maybe we'll do a contest where like come sit through the podcast. No, but I mean everybody, not just one. Oh, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not not at the same time. Great idea. Just get some traffic and charge them a buck. You'll do very well. (laughs) You know, people always talk about web traffic. This is literal traffic. Walk into your house and don't tell your wife. Let it be a surprise. No, she'll love it. She loves. Honey, what's the line outside? Oh, (laughs) did I not mention? I forgot to tell you. One hundred, two hundred thousand people were showing up. But it's a buck ahead, honey. Yeah. So so, you know, I mean, I don't know if we should split that because it was really my idea. But you know what? (laughs) I'll take you to a nice dinner and everything should be fine. Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> all right. And, uh, all right, man, thanks so much. All right, enjoy your burrito, everyone. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. I met her and I was like, she's gonna win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's gonna be backlash about that. Oh, just so happy. So happy. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year, unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.